Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm Lee McCormick. Welcome to Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, episode 8, Cover Me, volume 2. Once again, we're going to do our Cover Me episode where we play a song that Springsteen has covered and then five songs of people covering Springsteen's songs. So get ready for this. we got some good tunes for you today. Cover me, cover me, cover me. All right, so here we go. So we're going to do uh, Cover Me Volume 2. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to play one song of Bruce Springsteen covering somebody else's song, and then we're going to play five songs of somebody else uh, covering Bruce Springsteen's songs. And right now I'm here with two of my best friends ever. We've got uh, Mike Train, Mike Frampton. How's it going, Mike? It's going very well indeed. Thank you very much for having me here. All right, cool time. And then we got uh, Alex Baba Ferguson. How's it going, Baba? Oh, it's going great. It's great beer. All right, cool. And uh, right now we're recording this from Pickering in West Shore, Ontario, Canada. You guys actually uh, live. Your childhood homes are like probably a five-minute walk from where we're recording this right now. Yeah, this is our stomping grounds, and you live uh, right directly across from our public school. And also where I used to throw snowballs onto the street and try to hit cars. This hill right here. Yeah, that hill yeah. right there. I'm yeah, looking yeah. at Pickering yeah. on Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike and I have actually known each other since. Uh, I was three and he was five, believe that's it or right. not. That's right. Wow. That's amazing, eh? We're talking about 1977, 78-ish, I think. Yeah, so we're talking about like a good, <laughs> uh, like an over a 35-year friendship between all of us. When did we all meet? Bab, I probably met you before I met Mike, did I? Yeah, well, we met in late high school, but really yeah. became uh, yeah, closer like friends in university. Yeah, you even were. Though you, even though we went to different schools. Yeah, I yeah. say late 80s. Around now, we started 90s, hanging yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about, is there any kind of uh, Bruce Springsteen influence on you, Mike? What? When did you first... The, the discover the first, Springsteen. The first influence of Bruce Springsteen that I ever had was, of course, with uh, with Courtney Cox. Um, is that Born in the USA? Yeah, the Dancing so in the Dark the, video. The dance routine in Born in the USA. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. That yeah. would have been probably like May June nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Thirty two years ago. You, how did that make you feel when you first saw that? Yeah, it made me feel good. It made me feel good <laughs> about myself. It made me feel good about dancing. It made me feel good about rock and roll in general. It made me feel good about young ladies. And you and you specifically remember the Courtney Cox part of that video. I do remember, like that. the last twenty seconds. He I brings do this remember. Cute he, little he calls shorter. her out on stage and he gets her up there dance, and she kind of breaks <laughs> out of her shell. You know, she was all shy and introverted, but she gets up there, and <laughs> the boss makes her feel all good about herself. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah no doubt. <laughs> Okay, so Baba, when did you first uh, discover well, Springsteen? It, it's funny. It wasn't when I first discovered Springsteen, but when I first became totally conscious of it. It's the same as uh, 
Mike, really, that video. I mean, before I knew his songs from listening to rock radio and even his songs were like on adult, adult contemporary yeah. kind of uh, Hungry rock. Heart was big. I remember Hungry yeah, Heart. Like on Chum big. FM, like those stations in Toronto would play uh, Bruce Springsteen's songs. So like bef- even though before um, Dancing in the Dark came out on the video, um, I knew a bunch of Springsteen songs. But because that was really his first video, it was really the first time I got a visual of Bruce Springsteen. It wasn't just songs that I heard on the radio and only his hits. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I got to know that whole Born in the USA album, and I loved it. But, uh, yeah, that was one of those things where it was like... I was young enough that even though Bruce Springsteen had only been away for like two or three years at that point, that it was almost like... Because I was so young, it was like a big comeback for him because he wasn't really on my scene when I was into music. And then all yeah. of a sudden, he pounced into the popular pop culture again. He had that album, Born like, in the USA, and all those videos. He put like, there was like five or six videos yeah, for that yeah. one album. They were just in constant rotation. Yeah, but I remember the MTV. Born in the USA one. The, the vocals were like out of sync with the video. Do you remember that? And I remember really, being, I I remember being disappointed because that Dancing in the Dark video was so uh, fantastic. The thing I liked about, about Bruce at that time was that he was unlike everybody else that you saw on videos at that time. Everybody else was over the top with gigantic hair and crazy makeup. Yeah, exactly, and, right? And he was not like that at all. And yet somehow... Blue jeans and a white t-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Right? How did he do it with a headband? And blue jeans yeah. and a white T-shirt. Like, I, I, That's amazing. I've actually, I've never actually thought about that little part of it. Like, we're talking like 1984. Yeah. And there yeah. was a point there where, like, we because we were young and in school, that younger guys, like, who were t- still trying to discover their sense of style, they would just like dress like Bruce Springsteen. Like, they'd wear like. Well, I used to do that for yeah, sure. They'd even put that bandana no, on. No, I think that know? was Bon Jovi. Are you talking about around the leg? No, no, that's Chachi that's Chachi Arcola around the leg. Yeah, come on, that's true. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the bandana around the uh, around the thigh is definitely Chachi Arcola. Yeah. Is that his last name? That was Arcola. Arcola, right? yeah. Yeah, you you were more of a Ted McGinley. I was more of a Ted. McGinley. What was his name? What was that guy's name on Happy Days? Ted McGinley. Uh, Raj, right? Roger. Roger. That's right. Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was after Happy Days had jumped the shark, so... You know what's funny, though, Lee, is... Uh, yeah, Roger, like, Richie had left, and, and and Roger actually moved in to the Cunningham's house, right? Wasn't yeah, he living with him? For yeah, I was so yeah. disappointed. When Richie left, and Richie came back all war-torn, and, and he was and all shit. weird, and he was disappointing, and, and, and disrupted, and disturbed, and you're just like, dear God... And, and like Richie and Ralph went off to war, but Potsy stayed home. Uh, yeah. Potsy so came when, back, and so Potsy was normal and was still upbeat and, and yeah, cool. And but and Richie and Ralph, are they like, came back and they were warm. They were different, yeah, right? They so were warm. Potsy was never cool. Potsy was cool. Are you kidding me, man? Oh, he was I like, a I like, I like he could sing. Potsy got he could with sing. That girl. I, I like Potsy. I'm just saying that. I will say though that when I was in the fourth grade and I had to, you know, we were playing Happy Days in the schoolyard and I had to be Potsy. I was disappointed because everybody. What do you mean? <laughs> I know I wanted to be the Fonz. Everybody, had, wa- everybody, well, everybody wanted to be the Fonz. Okay. Yeah. Qu- somebody said if to you me, can't, they said, "Mike, you're the Fonz." What? Or, or, so they, they said, "You're you're Potsy," and I was disappointed. You're in school and you're playing Happy Days. What does this involve? How do you play Happy Days? You're I, just reenacting I, scenes. I guess we're reenacting Happy Days scenes. Would there be like, and this is grade what, like? 
fourth grade. Fourth grade. Was there any like makeout sessions, like Inspiration Point I don't, that I don't stuff recall. going on? No, I don't recall. No. So this was going on. I I, I didn't I didn't know this because Mike was a couple of grades in front of me. But so this was going on right across the street. From this was us, over. Is what the, you're yeah, saying. this was about yeah. a, about like, 200 yards from where we are right now, <laughs> with where I was playing Happy Days. That's amazing. In the schoolyard. That's right. We're talking like 1979, 1980. Probably in that territory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good times. Now, would that be considered <laughs> what the kids are calling LARPing? I live no, action, I, I live action, what that word means. live action role playing. I've never heard of that I, term. I, I, no, I LARPing. That's is that word. what the kids are doing in the schoolyard these days? I, well, I have no it's, idea. It's normally about like uh, wizards and, and medieval warlocks. and stuff like yeah, right. all that stuff. I, yeah. I have no idea what kids no. are doing these days. <laughs> See, I work from home, and I listen to a lot of the kids, and all I hear is a lot of yelling and screaming. I have a schoolyard out back of my house, and I work from home, so my really? office is there, and I have my back door open so I can get some fresh air in the office there, and I hear the schoolyard, and I can't make out what the kids are doing. It just sounds like a bunch of craziness. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. You know what's funny? I don't hear Red Rover, Red Rover, let's call Lee <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was I was going to say, uh, Lee, that speaking of uh, more old times about Bruce Springsteen, that uh, I was listening to a recent show that you did with Johnny Cars, and yeah, uh, that was Cover Me Volume One. Yeah, and he was talking about the prepar- the preparedness that he had to get ready at the record store that he worked at, which I frequented actually. And he yeah. was talking about the Bruce Springsteen double release, yeah, the same Human day Touch, sort of, Lucky Town, yeah, yeah, and how it sort of resembled Use Your Illusion one and two. And, uh, well, those and, were two like sale dates where we were, if you buy one, you get the other one free. The first day of sale yeah. for those two. And I remember, I remember, I remember how he said it was such a pain in the ass. And I actually remember Eric and I lining up, lining up for Guns and Roses, lining up for Guns and Roses, yeah. and being part of the problem. Being part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was probably I was part of the solution because I didn't line up for Guns and Roses, but I did. Li- I did go to get the Springsteen record. I. I don't know. I think I faked a school a, a sick day at school that day to go get those records, and I played them that day. But well, I, I remember showing I up and like seeing, wow, no one's in line. I'm first. I'm like, no, I'm right here. Wow, there's a big rack of like hundreds of CDs. I'm guess I'm just gonna buy these. There was no lineup at all for that thing. Me and Baba have a connection. Whereas my very first Springsteen concert that I've ever seen, and I think yours too. We yep. went together, right? Yep. Which was uh, May of 2000. We saw Springsteen with E Street Band. On their kind of reunion tour at uh, Air Canada Center, that was fucking awesome. You remember that show? Oh, that was that. That was uh, yeah. It's commonly said like Bruce Springsteen shows are like a like a spiritual revival or yeah. something like religious. Just, yeah, but uh, I you know I always thought that was just legend. You, know, you never know. Yeah, like but uh, when I went, yeah, it. Uh, it it turned out to be just that it was inc- it was incredible. Like he had the whole crowd in the palm of his hand. You yeah, know? everybody was enraptured. And that was a great show too, because that was the the reunion tour. He had the E Street Band back together after a hiatus of about ten years. Was Max yeah, there? Yeah, you, you wouldn't know. Oh him. yeah, Max Weinberg on the drums, the entire band, Danny Federici, little Stephen Van Zandt, Nils Lofgren on guitar as well, Gary Talent, Roy Bitten. Uh, Clarence Clemens, the big man, of obviously. You had Patty Scalva. Oh, it was great. And just the greatest hits tour set list, too, that tour. Yeah, that was such a great set. Yeah, Mike, you've never seen Springsteen, eh? I've never seen him, but I mean, from what I understand, with a four-hour show, I don't know if I could even stay awake for that amount of time. 
Well, he, I, I think he's only hit four hours, maybe like three or four times. Okay. It has happened. All right, even with a three-hour show, you guys would be holding me up. I'd have my arms around you. You guys would be pissed off because you'd be holding me up for the yeah, last no, Mike hour. Is known, yeah. Mike, Mike is known for falling asleep in front of everything. So yeah. uh, the, the, the higher the energy, the, the more sleepy I get. Yeah, yeah. God knows why. All right, so the first song we're going to talk about for our uh, Cover Me episode here is Springsteen covering somebody else. So we're going to talk about Springsteen guesting with the Rolling Stones and covering Tumbling Dice. Now, this was from the Rolling Stones did a 50th anniversary tour, which was actually four years ago in 2012, uh, and they played Newark, New Jersey. So what do you think about this song, Mike? We just watched this uh this video of uh, Springsteen uh, playing with the Stones. What did you think? Well, I liked it. I like I like watching anything with the Rolling Stones. I I can't believe what I'm seeing when I watch those guys. I can't. What believe. a band, Dave! Eh? I, I I love watching Mick bouncing around the stage. I I can't believe that they're still doing what they do and maybe doing it better than they ever have. Fifty years what, into their career, yeah, that's man. insane. Like Keith is still the coolest guy that I think that I've ever seen in my whole life, and I've <laughs> I've watched recent documentaries with him, and I. He just seems to keep getting cooler, and it makes me feel good about getting older. Cause yeah, like yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's you awesome. Know what I'm saying like it That's makes a good line. getting sure. old. Is that is a good cool. point for like, sure. I, I'm feeling good about getting older, man. I mean, like honestly, <laughs> that's I, amazing. It's like when you see Paul McCartney too, you know, and he looks cool as getting. It. He's one of those guys. Well, like, I don't know about him. <laughs> well, <laughs> Keith, Keith right, doesn't dye his hair. Conversation, maybe. At least Keith doesn't dye his hair. Keith's oh, hair is white. Yeah, his hair is white. I know. Okay. I th- I, I also like. Paul McCartney a little bit more when he was a little bit more special. Now he's be- he's become a little bit too uh, overexposed. I think like he just seems to be at every yeah. concert and special event, and um, I think he's. I think it's Ringo's time, man. Like I'm sick yeah. of McCartney, man. Like can't we give Ringo the spotlight for once? Like come on, man. Well, Ringo's cool. I, Ringo's the coolest. Ringo really is the coolest. <laughs> I, I, I actually liked a couple of years ago when he teamed up. Was it a, a couple of years ago or a year ago when he teamed up with Paul McCartney and and they were at some. Award Award show and, well, they, and they both played. Well, I don't remember what that was, but McCartney was lucky that Ringo got on stage. That's with fair. Him. I mean, you know what? On, honestly, Ringo is going to live to the age of a hundred. He really will. Like Ringo's going to live all the fucking Beatles because he's he, the best really one is. for sure, man. He really is, man. That it's guy true. will live to be a hundred, and he will still have his All Star Band. Yeah, and he he is outstanding. <laughs> So anyway, let's go back to this song. So the Rolling Stones. So this uh, Tumbling Dice was originally off of Exile on Main Street, 1972, which is one of the uh, classic Rolling Stones albums. Hey there, Baba. Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite album. That really? Uh, yeah, I, I the think one so. Rolling Stones album. Uh, if 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 I'm gonna if I'm gonna choose a favorite Rolling Stones album, yeah, yeah, I think it's that one. It's hard to deny that like 1969 to 1973. Oh, like yeah. Sticky Fingers is good. Some yeah. girls is good on either side. Let of it that, bleed. But, uh, Years yeah. ago, when I said to you, because I I was relatively, you know, I, I kind of missed it way back in the day, but I I said to Lee, if if I'm gonna get a Rolling Stones album, what should I get? And you said Exile on Main Street. Did I really? Yeah. I might have a different answer for you. And, and I think the the other thing you said was either get that or or Sticky Fingers. Really. Yeah. It's true. So, well, it's so hard what, to deny. Uh, Those are nine out of ten so albums. What are, 10 you, out of 10. what are you saying that you would have said now? Uh, I don't know. If someone came up to me and said, "What Rolling Stones album should I get?" I might give them Hot Rocks as a first. Because oh yeah, that yeah that counts for sure. Yeah, 
it's it's one it's one of those greatest hits albums that's so popular. Fifteen that years it kind ago of or so, it's true though. Albums. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, that sounds right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I said that. Well, if you're gonna buy like a, besides a greatest hits album, I would probably say yeah, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, or Excel and Mainstreet. You can't go yeah. wrong with those. Yeah. Some girls, I think, might be my. My pick now today, though, if you said if you asked me that same question, I would probably send you home with some girls. Anyway, I, I can dig that. Yeah, you can dig that. <laughs> so tumbling dice. So the premise of the lyrics of this song is where it's kind of like about a guy. He's like a gambler, but he's gambling. He's gambling women, right? Like it's a song about a guy that can't stay true to women. Because there's, there's a line like, "Cause all you women low down gamblers, you're cheating. Like I don't know how." Lines like, "Oh my, I'm the lone crapshooter playing the field every night." But this guy can't stay true to a woman, so he's gambling with these girls. He's yeah, it's it's, the a, it's the old it's a good old fashioned uh, blues premise. True, yeah, blues, and it's like the thing that's cool about this song too. I don't know if you noticed is that there's different amount of lines in each verse, right? Like the first verse, I might, didn't notice that. Yeah, like the first verse might have like eight See, lines. You have to be a musician to actually catch that. I would never catch. Really, that. No. third verse has like only two lines, and yeah. they they jump right to the solo. See, you musicians, you guys catch that. Guys. Yeah, you can catch <laughs> no. that, right? Like, well, okay. usually when people do like a verse, they do the verse the exact same. Like it's eight lines, it's four lines. Each verse is the same amount of time, but this song is different because each verse is a different amount of lines. It's kind of like a blues way of writing the song, right? Yeah, like it's a John Lee Hooker kind of thing where you just going with the feel of the song. You're 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 That's writing it as yeah. you feel it, yeah. So th- I also think this song is a great example of the uh, the Rolling Stones groove, which I think really fits nice. Like this song is not really fast and it's not really slow. Yeah, yeah, it's right? that it's that good mid tempo. It's like right in that mid tempo, like fucking funk soul rock and roll groove. Yeah, like it's hard it's to duplicate that too. Sure. Yeah, but they um and and it's it's funny because when when you see like it's not just about hearing the song even though that's what we're talking about but having seen the live footage of it um makes you appreciate it on a new level because you see how happy bruce springsteen is to be like playing with his heroes here like you've got bruce springsteen who himself is a legend and has been around for a long time so you know you'd be hard pressed at this day and age to have Bruce actually look up to somebody and the Rolling Stones are one of those bands that's that's who you know he grew up emulating yeah, at first that, right that's what like, he cut his he's cut, yeah. he cut his teeth on learning all these Springsteen or all these Rolling Stones songs right sure and you, you genuinely get the feeling when you're watching it that uh, he is in awe of the Rolling Stones he's oh, in he, awe of Mick and he's having and just he, a great yeah, time he's having a yeah. blast he's while just, he's that's, that's the thing like he's like a kid up there like, yeah. and I'm pretty sure this song this show was the first time he'd ever been on stage with the Stones he did a thing, I think, maybe eight, the 89 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies where he was himself on stage with like a group of a bunch of different musicians. I think him and Mick sang Satisfaction together that night, but it wasn't like with the entire band. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's also... It was one of those big Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame jams where everybody, everybody was on stage. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a clusterfuck, but it was still kind of cool, right? And there's, a, there's an infamous story that I've heard Bruce tell about... They were getting ready to do this show, and they knew it was pay per view, so they were doing like kind of a rehearsal day where they have some of the guests come out and you know run down the song, so you kind of get a vibe for it. And Bruce had, had told a story where he showed up that day and he just walked into this small little re- rehearsal studio place, and he's like, "There's the five or six guys set up. There's Charlie, Ronnie, Keith, Mick, right?" And they said they just ran the song down one time. They said it, w- it was sloppy, but it was great. It was beautiful. 
And that's it. They played it like once or twice, and that was it. That's awesome. Yeah, and he said it was that they just started playing, and there, wow, there's the Rolling Stones. Bruce Springsteen was like in the in the room where that Rolling Stones essence was being created, and he was just like, "That's amazing." Right, and you get the feeling that you know he has the same the same essence when he plays with his band. You know, it's the exact same thing. So he, you know, goes and watches and, and watches the Rolling Stones play, and then the exact same thing happens when he plays with E Street Band. Yeah, well, like that, they they know that they're there to put on a show, and uh, they might charge a lot of money for their shows, but you know what? You're getting your money's worth when you go and see these yeah. guys play, right? You're seeing rock and roll done by the people that created rock and roll, right? Like I think the Rolling Stones are kind of that sort of elegantly wasted kind of sloppy perfection kind of thing right like when you see the rolling stones play live they make mistakes a lot but it's just yeah and sometimes it feels like it's just like being held together by a thread thread yeah yeah and you're like it's gonna fall apart at any time but then it just works and they have these moments where they just hit these plateaus and you're just like holy fuck this is like another level of rock and roll i've never experienced Growing up in a jazz household, my father was a, was a jazz uh, trumpet player, and his one of his favorite artists was Chet Baker. And so you you always, when you listen to Chet Baker, you listen to the simplicity of his music, but you also listen to the mistakes that he makes. And Yeah, it makes it more real. He, yeah, it makes it sound very real. So he's not the best trumpeter of all time. I mean, you know, Miles and all those guys would just sit there and go, okay, well. But there's something about the guy. And so, you know, it makes a lot of mistakes, but at the same time has an essence all unto himself. Exactly, yeah. And I think that that's the same thing that you can hear with the Rolling Stones and, and Bruce Springsteen. Exactly. So check this out. We're going to play this song. It's, uh, listen to the groove that Charlie and Keith lay down, this, this Rolling Stones in-the-pocket groove. Not too slow, not too fast. I think it's infamous with this song, Tumbling Dice, that Mick always wanted to play it faster, but Keith always wanted to kind of hold it back into this groove where it sits. And I think that's a lot to do with Charlie and Keith kind of always lay down the groove with Rolling Stone songs. I think I've heard previously, too, that Charlie Watts, in his monitors, he only has Keith Richards' guitar. Really? Which I want to believe is true. That like, Well, and, and say, what, say what you will, but Charlie Watts is the person driving the pace of that song. You can, exactly, say, yeah. like, you can say all you want what Keith and uh, Mick each want out of the song. But Charlie whatever Charlie, Charlie wants, wants to, is, what, what he wants to do, it's going to happen. I exactly, mean, the, yeah. the whole band has to follow that lead, right? Exactly. So we're leaving it in the hands of Charlie Watts, which is uh, which is all right with me. So check this out. Check out the the call and answer outro versus two. I love when uh, Bruce is doing the "You got to roll me," and then Mick goes into his kind of falsetto emotional rescue <laughs> voice. I think you got to roll me, and Mick's like. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that monkey falsetto voice, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All right, so let's play this. This is Tumbling Dice for Bruce Springsteen guesting with the Rolling Stones. This was recorded in Newark, New Jersey, December 15th, Great guitar solo by Bruce. Too. Yeah, split guitar solos. Ronnie Wood takes the first half and Bruce uh, takes it home. You know, some of, the, some of the guests we've had, they've come like thousands of miles. They've flown from Moscow and Los Angeles and Saskatoon and God knows where else. But our next guest, he just said to walk here. So we'd like to introduce to you New Jersey's very own Bruce Bigstead!
So the next thing we're going to talk about is Atlantic City. And this is a cover by The Band. 1993, this was released off their Jericho record. This is The Band, Levon Helm on drums, mandolin, lead vocals, uh, Rick Danko on the bass, Garth Hudson on the uh, organ, accordion, and then a bunch of other guys, Randy Charlante on drums as well. Uh, who's the other fucking guy? Jim Weeder on guitar. Uh, another dude on piano that I'm his name is slipping me 
What do you think of uh, this song, Baba? Oh, I, I well, I, first of all, I love the band. They're they're one of my favorites. Seriously, so. the band are great. Yeah, they are so good. And you know what? I love this song by Bruce Springsteen too. This is one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. The Bruce and Springsteen version is one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nebraska and, version, the acoustic Nebraska oh, version, Atlantic City. Oh, I, I just, I just love it. And um, the band. I wouldn't say do it justice because I don't like covers that just sound like the original. Right. And this doesn't. It sounds, uh, the band definitely make it their own. Exactly, and you can, yeah. you can see it. It fits well into uh, the band canon, their style, of, uh, their style of songs, where they put themselves yeah. as like a, a character, like a, uh, and in this case, it's a, a gangster in Atlantic City. But the band do that with, with other songs too, you know, uh, like somebody in the civil war you know with uh, the night they drove old dixie down yeah they're and, good with story um, song character yeah building songs. Yeah. yeah so th- this really fits their fits their, their exactly yeah fits their aesthetic just perfectly and um they do a fantastic job as we know the band have different singers and i think choosing uh levon to uh sing this one it's just it's just perfect it's very natural yeah, his voice fits it the song's about a guy that's down on his luck and he's he he's got debts that no honest man can pay, so he's now he's got to turn to like a life of crime. And I guess they're alluding to kind of like a, a mafia life. That that verse where he's like, "They killed the chicken man in Philly last yeah. night." That's got to be kind of some a mob hit. Right? You no, know, yeah, the uh, the chicken man is actually he was actually a real life gangster. It's not like a phony character. Really, that's yeah. chicken man is a Philadelphia gangster kind of thing. Yeah, in Atlantic City. Or Atlantic City, really? Eh? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, like. Uh, what it is is um, I forget the guy's name, but they call him the Chicken Man because he became pockmarked from chicken pox at a young age. So he had all these pockmarks all over his face. So chicken pox, they called him the Chicken Man. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah. So this is a story about this guy is down on his luck. He's got to do something to like save his life. So he's gonna he's taking this job with this 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 mafia team, I guess, right? And he's like. He's telling his wife to come along with him, like, meet me tonight in Atlantic City. We're going to start our new life tonight. And, like, who knows how it's going to end up. Everything dies. That's a fact. Everything that dies someday comes back. Let's start our new life, even though he's kind of skeptical of the <laughs> the path he's going down. It's got the amazing vocals of Levon Helm, his drumming two style, combined with uh, the Rick Danko background vocal. Oh, that's, oh, Rick, oh. Rick Danko, man. That guy's so soulful. Like makes you weep the way sometimes he sings. Do you remember moments when me and you were like starting to smoke pot a lot, and we would watch like the Last Waltz and that version of Rick Danko singing? It makes no difference, oh. and we would physically weep. <laughs> like we would be sitting in my basement in the dark and physically be weeping watching Rick Danko <laughs> sing this song. It makes no difference. Like stone out of our heads. Good times. Oh man. <laughs> To be young, wild, and free. Mike, you weren't there. Do you remember that? No, I wasn't there. But the only time I wept (laughs) with you was at Graceland. We wept at Graceland? Yeah. Didn't we weep when we walked out that final last thing when you're coming around and you see Elvis's pool? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we both kind of stood there and had a moment. We shouldn't talk about this. I'm Uh, starting to get a little clumped right now. Mike, do you have any thoughts on this song? Do you like it? Yeah, I liked it. When I hear the band, I, I only think about Happy Days. I think about... Richie Potsy. More Happy Days stuff. Yeah, I what don't, is, what is I don't going get, on here? I don't get that reference, but it's cool. It's I know. cool, I'm man. bringing it all back to Happy Days. I'm sorry, but yeah. I remember the band. You remember you remember Leather Tuscadero introducing the band and 
No. Okay. That's All right. me. I'm aging myself. All right, so here we go. Here's the band doing Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen, 1993. This is off their Jericho record. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night And they blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on a promenade And the gambling commissioner's hanging on By the skin of his teeth Everything dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies Someday he comes back Put your makeup on Fix your hair up pretty And meet me tonight in Atlantic City
so Bruce Springsteen is probably my second favorite songwriter. Do you guys know who my first favorite songwriter is? Steve Earle. It's probably Steve Earle. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Steve Earle. So next song we're going to talk about is State Trooper covered by Steve Earle. So State Trooper was originally off the Nebraska album. Steve Earle's got a lot of big connection with uh, the Nebraska record. He's covered Nebraska the song previously. I think he, he kind of said that, that was the song he used to do in his set where he wanted to talk about the death penalty and his views on the death penalty. And he did that song until he'd written his own death penalty songs like Billy Austin and Over Yonder. So he used to do Nebraska a lot in concert. State Trooper comes off that Nebraska record. What did you think of that song, Mike? Yeah, I liked it. I, you know, it's, it's, it's not one of my favorite uh, cover tunes. I, I don't think that it's necessarily one that I think resonates with Bruce Springsteen in the way that I think of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, you know here's, what, here's what I think when I think of that song. I think of your love of him. <laughs> That's what I think. Really? Yeah. I you think, hear this I, song, I, you're like, yeah, I bet no, you know like that. When I, when I listen to that, I think of how much you love him. <laughs> And how much you would do anything and bend over backwards to follow his music and <laughs> go to his band camps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Like, <laughs> that's what that's what I get out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, I had the uh, fortunate luck to attend. Steve Earl had a songwriting master class that he was doing called Camp Copperhead. So he did this. I, I attended the first year of that, which was in the summer of 2014 in New York. And... Uh, Steve was teaching his concepts on songwriting and the relativity to literature, poetry, folk music, etc. and the way he looks at songwriting and stuff like that. And at one point, he even mentioned Nebraska as being like this, the record where Bruce really connects to the whole songwriting thing where kind of the role model that Bob Dylan has set out for being a singer-songwriter kind of performer, right? So Steve kind of mentioned that Nebraska is where that connection was. Wow. Everybody should have Nebraska. Uh, there's other Bruce Springsteen records, but you can, you can, if you ever have any doubts about where he fits into all this, it's, not, it's all about Nebraska. I, I didn't know he held him in the, that su- such high esteem. That's, yeah, there was uh, a thing where, I, where the Born in the USA record was a big influence on Steve Earle as well, too. There was a thing where he, uh, hang on, let me get, let me get this book. So I got this book called... Uh, Steve Earle, Fearless Heart, Outlaw Poet, which was written by David McGee. And this is basically, this is a really good book. If there's any Steve Earle fans out there, I recommend you get this book, which kind of just talks about his whole recording career. Can I just say that I really like your Star Wars bookmark <laughs> that you have in there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah my book. <laughs> it's yeah, a my, Star Wars bookmark. My everybody. bookmark placer is The Force Awakens uh, <laughs> yeah. fucking bullshit download code. <laughs> where you, propaganda where they make you join yeah, there's some BB-8, club there's that little broad that little english broad yeah so anyway i like her yeah all right <laughs> so what was i talking about again yeah so the born in the usa thing this so this book talks about steve earl's career kind of album by album and he talks about when he's getting ready to do the uh, guitar town album he was really influenced by the born in the usa record oh, what a great album that is too yeah guitar town is a 10 out of yeah, 10 I, so so this book, let me just read this little passage. Uh, driving home to Texas for Christmas that year, he heard Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA with New Ears, and it clicked with him how the album and the live Springsteen show he had seen earlier in the year were synchronized. I was intrigued by the fact that Springsteen opened the album with Born in the USA and that it was really a theme and an overture, and he opened the show with, with that as well. 
On that drive, two more songs emerged, Guitar Town, envisioned as an album opener, and Down the Road, a closer. So you can see where he's influenced by that Born in the USA album, where he's opening with Born in the USA, ending with My Hometown, and then Steve Earle's going to kind of pattern his Guitar Town debut record in kind of that same format. Yeah, well, you can see how uh, like he chose his material really well, because um, this, like the band could have been written by Steve Earle as well. Not only is he a great songwriter, he knows what uh, what cover song to choose that would apply to him. Like the yeah. the, the person in this song, for all you know, could be... Um, what's the dude's name from um, from Copperhead Road? John Lee Pettimore? John Lee Pettimore? John Lee Pettimore. This yeah. song could be... This, this song could be uh, in John Lee Pettimore's head, you exactly, know? Exactly, Because yeah. it's, it's like almost like it immediately becomes part of that Steve Earle universe. Well, this song's cool, Steve. He, yeah. he does it more rockin' than uh, Bruce does. Exactly. Uh, more of a, a stomper, I guess, but... Um, yeah, this is with this is live version yeah. with the 86 Dukes featuring Harry Stinson on drums, Bucky Baxter... <laughs> <laughs> on guitar what are you laughing at Mike you like no, that I, I, like, I like that reference you know w- when <laughs> I think about this I, I I remember maybe 10 or 12 years ago when when you were at a crossroads yourself Lee and you were trying to think about you know hey what am I gonna, what am I going to do with my life yeah and am I wrong were you not considering maybe being a truck driver yes at, that no. was like a okay. good six months of my life. I wanted right. to be a so truck maybe driver. Maybe a good six months of your life. Now, at that time, were you not listening to a lot of this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Were you not considering, you know, like driving a truck and just listening to this music for like, you know, fourteen hours a day? What I thought I would do is that I would drive a truck for like eight, ten hours a day, and then I would have a guitar in my cab. And then I could stop for like six or seven hours in some random city and write yeah. music for like three or four hours and then meet some new people and meet some girls and then travel to the next yeah. city and You're at a drive. truck stop and some, yeah. Steve, you know, some girls that like Steve Earle, you guys have something in common. Exactly, yeah. But then it quickly came to the realization that that's not exactly the life of a truck driver and, and that dream was squashed. <laughs> no, but I, I do recall that about maybe maybe 12, 14 years ago. Yeah, you yeah, talking exactly, about yeah, that, yeah. and I don't know how, but at that time I, that seemed that that's what I equate as you know Steve Earle and and, and you and that life <laughs> and that time of the uh, that time in uh, in your life. Yeah. So there's also a thing with Steve Earle too, where with uh, Springsteen, he used to cover "Racing in the Streets," which is a Springsteen song off "Darkness on the Edge of Town." And he used to do that as a segue into his song, Sweet Little 66. This is like 86, 87 era Steve Earle. And I think there's a lot of influence between those two songs. Like Racing in the Streets has got that verse that goes, I got a 69 Chevy with 396, Feely Heads, and a hearse on the floor. Right? And then Steve Earle's song, Sweet Little 66, has that chorus that goes, she's got the 396, she got the four on the floor. Right? Like the 396... Referring to the cubic inch size of the engine, that big block engine, and then the 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 hearse on the floor, the four on the floor, referring to like the manual shift speeder that they would install on the floor floorboard of a car, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll, 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 <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah. know, Mike. I mean, did did I see that on uh, Bitchin' Rides or uh, one of those other shows? Uh, you know, a hot rider. You don't know about no, the, the, all f- I know the four is on the floor. I watch on TV, man. <laughs> If it ain't on the TV, I don't know what it is. Well, trust me, man. There's some connection, man, with the 396 and the floor and the floor. <laughs> you know, that I can do. I got a 69 Chevy. She's got a 396. 
Fuley heads and a hearthstone floor She's waiting for me out in the parking lot By the 7-Eleven store Me and my partner Sonny We built a straight out of scratch Now he rides with me from town to town We just run for the money we got no strings attached We shut them up and we shut them down Well, tonight, tonight, the strip's just right I'm gonna blow them out my first heat Summer's here and the time is right For racing in the street Big man around this town I got me the hottest little Chevy around My sweet little 67 Got the little front fender Ain't a gray one on the back But my income tax is coming And I'm gonna paint her black Sweet little 66 I've always been compared to Springsteen. The similarity is that we're basically writing songs that are mainly concerned with people and their lives and the way they live their lives and how their lives and, and what's going on now, current things, affect their lives. There's a little different slant because uh, Springsteen's from, from the East Coast and I'm from the South and, and grew up in the Southwest. So there's a little bit different slant to it all. What we have in common is an approach to songwriting that's somewhat journalistic and somewhat concerned with uh, songwriting as literature because songwriting is literature, uh, is a valid form of literature in this day and age. Uh, to some extent, print is dead. People don't have time to read, and songwriting's literature you can consume in your car. Have you we uh, have you ever seen Steve Earle live, Baba? Oh yeah, a number of times. A few times. Yeah, with yeah, me, yeah, probably, right? yeah. Like half of them have been with you, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and every time it's been yeah more than half. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Probably probably around eight or nine times, maybe. Um, yeah, Steve Rose great. You've never seen Steve Rose look at Mike shaking his head. <laughs> you, you see, for me, I'm kind of sitting here listening to Steve Rose from the outside. But for me, the thing with Steve Rose has always been just like kind of thinking, I hope you're okay. You know, are you doing okay, man? Like, you know, what, every what, time you're I, worried about Steve yeah, Rose? Yeah, I'm what are you worried about, about the guy. Like, I, I don't know. He's just one of those dudes. Like, you know how Keith Richards seems to just keep trucking along and always look, kind of looks the same way? Maybe his hair gets a little grayer yeah. and. You know, he wears like a bolder Rasta headband or something like that. But Steve Earl just, I'm like, dude, like, are you okay, man? Like, it's like, it, 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 <laughs> I don't understand. I'm not following He's that line. He's just getting line. older. My thing with him is just, I'm like, okay, man. I hope you're all right, man. I, I, know, I know you're playing great music. I really like you. I know my friends I like you. I don't know what you're looking at. Well, I, I think he's been all right for a long time Is now. he okay? As far as all these, like, like, 
Is that just me? Recovered, I, uh, like uh, I don't know, North America. Like when you look at you look at Steve Earle, are you are you thinking, okay, dude, I hope you're okay, because that's how that's what I think. I think he's all right. All right. I think well, out of based, all based uh, on his music, I mean, his music is fantastic, and based on the fact, well, that I think keeps, out of all the recovering recovering addicts, I think he's. Probably in the top of the list okay. of people that are dealing well yeah, with it. Sure, right? sure. Yeah, sure, sure. He's, he's got a successful music career. He's in acting. He writes. You know, he's all right. Well, he, then he, he's he's always. Then I'm working. happy because if he's living well <laughs> and he's surviving and he's living, loving, laughing, then I'm happy. All right. Do you know what else? There's another. Uh, and Derek Benedicts. Besides nope. uh, besides this one we're about to hear, I also recommend uh, the Cowboy Junkies version of this as well. The Cowboy Junkies have a version of State Trooper. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really good. It's got it's it's got more. It's closer to the Bruce Springsteen version, more really? like a like a gothic country type of vibe. But, really? Uh, yeah, I quite enjoy that one. Well, too. I'll check that out tomorrow. But for now, check out Steve Earle doing State Trooper. This is from the uh, Someday 12-inch EP that came out, where you got the studio version of Someday on side one and side two live versions of State Trooper and good old boy getting tough. Watch out, State Trooper. Don't just stop him because he may have to do something to stop you. New Jersey turned back Cruising on with night We need to refine his Just talk, 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 talk Till you 
So the next song we're going to talk about is, is a song called Protection, written by Bruce Springsteen, recorded by Donna Summer. So the story behind this song is uh, Donna Summer was working on a record, 1982, I believe it was, yeah. Quincy Jones was producing this record, and uh, this was her first record. She, Donna Summer had just signed with Geffen Records. You know that guy, David Geffen? Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, fucking David so, Geffen. Sorry, did you say what year it was? 1982, 1982. this 82. was. Yeah. Donna Summer was on Casablanca. She had that song, Love to Love You, Baby. Do you remember that one? So yeah, Donna Summer was yeah, on Solid Gold. But Donna it? Summer had been popular for a few years yeah, already. She had, right? On the radio. She, Donna had, Summer was like a disco queen, right? Love to Love You, Baby. That was the song that had that, that orgasm on it. Yeah, remember sure, that song? It was, it was on, that, that also was on Solid Gold, was it not? Love one to the, Love one, You, one Baby? Of those, one of those records where you bought it and you, you know, there was like 10 artists and 10 songs on there and it was just like the best hits of the... Oh, like a K-Tel uh, record? Yeah, it was a K-Tel record. I don't know, but... Am I not right about that? I don't know, K-Tel. I don't remember K- seeing that one on, on Solid Gold, but Love to Love You, Baby was Giorgio Moroto. You know that guy? Giorgio Moroto. Oh, I love that guy. He's yeah. awesome, yeah. So he wrote this song for Donna Summer and it's got all this like erotic moaning in it. And that song, The Chase... From um, the the soundtrack to Midnight Express, that's one of my favorites. Really, that's Giorgio yeah. Morona. Yeah, he yeah. did Scarface too. Scarface soundtrack, I love. Yeah, he has a little monologue on the new Daft, not the new Daft Punk, but the the one from a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this "Love to Love You, Baby" song was uh, the BBC. According to the BBC, this song had uh, contained twenty three orgasms during this song "Love to Love You, Baby," the extended version, which was sixteen minutes. Love to love you, baby. Oh, love to love you, baby. Oh, love to love you, 
David Geffen had asked John Lando for Bruce Springsteen to write a song for Gone Summer. So Bruce Springsteen wrote the song Cover Me, which ended up showing up on Born in the USA. But then John Lando was like, that song's too good. You can't give that one away. You got to save that one, right? <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, so that's a good one to save. So we saved that one. And then Bruce came up with his follow-up song, which was Protection. Bruce was working on Gary U.S. Bond's records at this time. Bruce and the E Street Band and little Steven were producing these songs for Gary uh, U.S. Bond's for his couple of records in 81 and 82. So Bruce had some downtime, I guess. And he was like, yeah, I can write a disco song. I can write a dance song. So he writes this song, Protection. It's kind of a cool lyric. Protection's about the guy that's like, He's so in love with this girl that he knows this girl is bad for him, but he's just, he can't help falling in love with this girl that he knows is going to like take him down in the end, but he just can't help it. So he needs protection from what she's dishing out. You know what I'm talking about, Mike Train? <laughs> I do know. <laughs> was this the time when, you know, bands like Kiss actually had to write disco songs? And Well, this is a little bit after. This is 1982. Okay, so when, when, when was it the Kiss actually wrote, wrote a disco We're song? talking 78, 79. Okay, yeah. so we're a little after that. Kiss okay. did, like, I Was Made For Loving You yeah. in 79. Like, oh, Rod okay. Stewart had done Do You Think I'm Sexy? The Stones yeah. had done Miss You. Okay, and that was Like, Blondie 70s. did Heart of Glass. Like, all the 78, 79 is when you got a lot of the rock bands writing a disco actually song, right? Actually having to do yeah. a disco song, yeah. For sure, yeah. <laughs> So this is a few years after that, but Bruce is like, yeah, I can write one of those songs. So yeah, and it's not it's not it's not really that heavy lyric wise like uh, Bruce would do. But I mean, that's not what disco is about. It's about just writing a fight uh, fun song. So he tailored his songwriting. No, skills it's about to writing a fight song. How did how did Donna Summer die? Do you remember that? Do you know how Donna Summer died? No, I don't remember that at all. But that was one of those. She ones died, just, yeah, tragically. Let yeah. me look this shit up right now. Um, let me get in. We'll bring it up on Google. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. I'm on Google Chrome. Are you guys all about Google Chrome? Sure. Wow. All right. So Donna Summer was born on December 31st, 1948. She died May 17th, 2012. Four years ago. How did Donna Summer die? Did she die like Natalie Wood, drowning or anything cool like that? Let me squirrel down here. Well, she... Controversy. AIDS campaign controversy, personal life death. Donna Summer died on May 17th, 2012 at her home in Naples, Florida at the age of 63. She'd been diagnosed with lung cancer, which she believed was caused by inhaling toxic fumes and dust after the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York City. Wow. Wow, that's kind of controversial. She inhaled some 9-11 dust and then died subsequently from lung cancer, uh... 11 years later, right? Yeah, I, did, I, I, I don't recall that being the case, but uh, yeah, I do remember it being news kind of out of the blue when she died. It was one of those, oh man. Yeah, yeah, she was really relatively young. young and. Yeah. Yep. All right, so check this out. This is Donna Summer uh, doing Protection, written by Bruce Springsteen. Check out, Bruce Springsteen actually played on this song. He went to LA to record. You hear the guitar solo at the very end of the song. He's him. And then he does these background vocals going, protect, protect, protect. That's, that's Bruce doing that for sure, I'm sure. So, uh, so check this out, protection.
Yeah, let's let Mike light that up. All right, mm. cool, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm lighting this up with a Bob Marley lighter here where the actual thing that you press lights up. I've never seen True, it. True, yeah. Like Courtesy of Jordana Vescio. All right, so the next song we're going to talk about is uh, My Hometown, performed by Neil Young. So this was uh, Neil Young did this record called Our Letter Home, which came out in 2014. And this was done with uh, Jack White. Are you guys all familiar with Jack White? Oh, yeah, of course. Jack White is that guy that I love everything about him except his music. Oh, I like his music. Really? Yeah. I can't get into his music. Yeah. But I think everything, all of his principles and no, stuff like that. I have to agree with Lee on that one. I, I, I like everything about him except his music. Yeah, he oh, seems like a great guy. But every time I hear an album he puts out, I'm like, ah. Well, I, I, haven't, I, I admittedly haven't listened to his more recent ones, but those earlier White Stripes albums, um, when they were when they were out, I uh, I absolutely loved them. You were down with that, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. Would you would you put him in the running with uh, Jimmy Page and The Edge? <laughs> oh he, yeah, I never, no, I, I never. I never. That watched, let's get loud. Yeah, I never, uh, documentary. I, I never watched is that he documentary. As good as those guys should he be in that documentary with those two guys? Of course, yeah. Out of all three of those guys, I probably like him the best. Even like, you like him the best. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't like fucking Jimmy That's Page show or the Edge. That's another show, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, that Neil Young does this a letter home record with uh, Jack White, and it's an all covers album. He does all covers, and he recorded it in this thing. It's called this uh, refurbished 1947 Voiceograph vinyl recording booth. It's similar to a phone booth, like it looks like a phone booth, right? And you go in there and you drop in your dollar or whatever, right? And you record for, I think it's like, eight, you get like 90 seconds or something like that. Maximum. It's like Speaker's Corner where the Burning Kinda. Ladies first exactly. recorded there. Yeah. So you drop your dollar in there and you get like 90 seconds to record whatever you want to record. And you get like a vinyl recording comes out. And this was done um, back in the day with the military troops. They would record audio messages back to home to their families, right? Saying, hey, it's me, I'm alive. And they would send these records back to home. Of so them that- singing Bruce Springsteen songs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome, but I don't think... No, no, no. Hey, Ma, back then, yeah, I'm yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, so hence this title, A Letter Home. So the, the album starts, Neil Young, the album starts with like, kind of like this spoken word thing where he, he uh, records like a little message to his mom, right, who had died in 1990. So this record's recorded by Jack White at the Third Man Records in Nashville, Tennessee. Kind of gives the listener that vibe of the uh, the primitive field recordings that were kind of made in the 20s and 30s when they would record like blues guys, Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters kind of thing, those field recordings. Gives you that kind of scratchy record kind of thing. Which really yeah, it definitely sounds it. like it was something like one of those old blues yeah, Robert Johnson totally, records, yeah. like that sound. Like they try their best to remaster this CD, but they can never make it sound beyond that uh, sort of primitive recording process. But it's it it it, some, it somehow works. It's I mean right, it's yeah. novel. I wouldn't want to hear that many albums recorded this way, but uh, but it definitely it definitely lends something to the song too. I think. Yeah, it gives a character for sure. Eh? What did you think of that track, Mike? Well. I, I thought it was raw to say the least. Well, uh, <laughs> um, when you know the backstory that was recorded in this like phone booth kind of thing, story does that? No, I, I I like that kind of thing. It makes it feel like you're you know you were at a you were at a campfire one night and the guy decided to break out his guitar and, and you just kind of recorded it. 
you know exactly you yeah was, it's, it's you got had this the presence raw. of mind you were a little bit drunk but you had the presence of mind to slip your phone on and exactly yeah. just kind of record it and you know kind of give it to somebody because it sounded that good at that time and that's and, all the essence too all the essence yeah. of like wow they just captured a moment this was like a 100 seconds in time yeah, one night sure. this is what happened Jack White and Neil Young went on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon to promote this record back in, uh, when did it come out, 2014 to promote the album. And Neil and, and Jack White kind of talk about how they recorded this record and how they chose the songs that would be on this album. We had a thing, uh, we, I spent a year and a half restoring that record booth. Uh, I'd, I'd look for 10 years for one and finally found it through this guy Bill Bowman who knew some collectors in the mechanical world. And yeah. we spent about a year and a half getting it running. It was not an easy task and we had it. Last year for Record Store Day, we debuted it, and Neil Young happened to be in town with his electric uh, car. He wanted to, we both own electric cars, too, so we were getting together to just uh, talk about that. And when he was there, <laughs> the yeah, kids, were, everyone, was allowed, everyone was using the, the booth for the very first time, and, and we had a curtain behind, so we were just talking, and, and a kid comes in and covers one of Neil's songs in the booth. Yeah, and, we were playing and singing, and everybody got in, and they'd do a thing, and, you know, and then they'd give it, you know, and they'd have the record and they'd leave with it and I said to Jack, I, I want to try that. Now, let me try that out. <laughs> this kid going in singing yeah, uh, yeah, my song. Yeah, yeah I'm I want to try somebody else's Heart song. Heart of Gold. Yeah, yeah. I want to do that. Let me do it. I'm, I'm here. I'm me. Yeah. yeah so uh, I went in there and did it and then I, and then I uh, thought, I said to Jack, you know, I could do an album in there. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, but, I said I have someone else on the airline. Wait one second. <laughs> yeah, right. You did not. Yeah, <laughs> you, get that yeah guy. you never did that. But this is like a, uh, so the letter home is the name of it. And how did you how did you choose these songs? These are songs by great songwriters that uh, influenced me when I was growing up. The people, musicians and uh, singers, songwriters that uh, you know would just be able to all of them could play just their own instrument and sing by themselves and and just deliver a song. You know so. Uh, that, that was something that made a big difference to me when I was uh, when I was younger. So that's why I chose those songs because they mean so much to and me. You'll be doing crazy tonight. Uh, Patsy Cline made it famous, but uh... <laughs> yeah, written by written by Willie Nelson. Well, Willie yeah. Nelson wrote Willie that. Willie Nelson wrote that. A lot of people don't know the other young yeah. pre uh, long haired. Yeah, uh, no, early Willie. Early Willie Nelson, and then you have uh, uh, on the road again is on this album by Willie as well. Yeah. Gordon Lightfoot, if you could read my mind. Uh, what a song. Uh, Unbelievable. That's amazing. Favorite. That's my favorite on this record. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. We had him on the show. Gordon, he's a good guy. Since I Met You, Baby, is that Since I, I Met You, Baby? Ivory Joe Hunter. Wow. Yeah, that's a great, great, great right record. There. Great record. Uh, my Hometown, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. That's I'd the love newest. to hear you. That was the newest one that I did. I, I thought it was such a great song. and What a great songwriter and performer. So I, and when he plays by himself, you know, people have, not that many people have seen him do that, but he's really, really great by himself. So if people can do things by themselves and carry the song, that's part of what this is about. And this is the first song you've done with Bruce Springsteen since Whip My Hair. Yeah. Man, that show. was good. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought heard... I was really good in that. You were... <laughs> you <laughs> it's good to think of that. Thank you. Well, it's good to have So Neil's singing My Hometown, which was the album closer on Born in the USA that Bruce wrote, right? Yeah. So... It's, totally, it's one of these things that's like the band and um, Steve Earle, and then it totally dovetails with like songs that Neil Young writes and it could represent like a very similar character yeah. to other things because Neil Young is often wrote about like uh, s the death of the small town that's one of his themes as well exactly, so yeah it fits in it fits in his wheelhouse perfectly yeah and I, I really felt that myself when I first heard that record way back when um, when I first heard that song I got that vibe I think everybody did I think that's what that song did was it actually told a story that you may have never 
thought about or perceived and it it really hit you yeah. and, and you 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 understood it yeah it's amazing with Springsteen. it's very i find it's very strong it's strong but subtle at the same time oh, too absolutely. right yeah. like absolutely. the first verse first verse of this song my hometown he's talking about how his dad is driving him around and showing him like this is your hometown. This is where you're being raised. You got to be proud. Yeah, and he and says look, it to his own sure. son at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah for and sure. It, it, like it the second and third verse, he goes into like, okay, there's problems. Sure, it there's like so racial good. tension. There's violence at the schools. Yeah. The bridge. He goes into like the the uh, the mom and pop shops are closing down. And then the third verse, he's like, he's he th- he's thinking about getting out. Yeah, and it wasn't so good. But it was your hometown. You were saying, Babbitt, that he, the uh, the third verse reveal where he's just like, yeah, we're thinking about getting out, but before we get out, I'm going to dr- drive my son around and show him, like, this is your hometown, so be proud still. Yeah, it's a, I, it's, it's a great song. And um, so much so, didn't, didn't would you consider that uh, other song, I think it's on the Wrecking Ball album, Death of, I think it's called Death of My Hometown. Death of My Hometown, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of like a Celtic song. Yeah, it's sort of like a sequel. Yeah, I could see that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't like that song anywhere as much as, as My Hometown by yeah. Bruce Springsteen. It's not, not in the same league. All right, so check this out. This is Neil Young singing, uh, covering Bruce Springsteen, doing My Hometown off his A Letter Home record recording in the uh, the 1947 like, voiceograph final recording booth. <laughs> I was eight years old and riding with the dime in my hand Into the bus stop to pick up a paper for my old man I'd sit on his lap in that big old Buick and steer as we drove through town He'd tussle my hair and say, son, take a good look this is your hometown. Across the railroad track, Foreman 
so our next song we're going to do is actually the first song that was on the very first Bruce Springsteen album, Side One, Track One. And it was also Bruce Springsteen's first number one song, but he didn't record it. What am I talking about there, Mike Train? Well, you're talking about this next hit. Who, <laughs> to this day, everybody in the world is still trying to figure out the lyrics. Yeah, what are yeah. we talking about, Baba? Yeah, well, I, I, I grew up. This is uh, "Blinded by the Light." Yeah, Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Uh, yeah, which, "Blinded which, by which, the Light," which, I, which I, I'm going to need to ask you. And I, I want to talk about yeah them in a little bit, but the song itself, um, it, I actually for a while didn't even know this was a Bruce Springsteen song because I heard this one constantly on rock radio growing up well not hearing the Bruce Springsteen one and it wasn't until I got into Bruce Springsteen later that I realized it was a cover oh, I told I'm in the same boat this song was a staple of my childhood this song came out in 1976 on Man for Man's Earth Band record called The Roaring Silence and from 1976 to about 1984 they played that song every day Twice a day on well, every. I still hear it all the time. Yeah, that song was like it's one of those songs that, totally, you, yeah. that you can't avoid. I mean, I don't really even listen to rock radio, but somehow I still hear this song around places. You know? Yeah, so, so I didn't know Springsteen wrote this until very later on too. Like, well, I didn't know it until about twenty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, so this is Manfred Mann for this is so this is that same band that did Doo Wah Diddy, did yeah, Dumb so, Diddy Do, yeah, so and, but and the Mighty it's, Quinn. It's, Manfred Mann was like the keyboard player, piano player. Yeah, but it's like a re- revolving door of pe- yeah. people because this doesn't sound anything like Do What no. Diddy or the Mighty Quinn. Well, Manfred Mann was kind of like the piano player, keyboard player, and he would have like a revolving door of like singers okay. and other guys. And then Manfred Mann's Earth Band was a different band where he was still the kind of keyboard player, organ player. So on this track, you hear that that wicked like electric piano keyboard part that he does. That's Manfred Mann playing that part. But the singer is actually this guy... Uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, Chris something. Uh, yeah. So this guy, Chris Thompson, is on guitar and vocals. And do you know who's playing drums on this song? Max Weinberg. No. Oh, okay. Do you know I who's have playing no drums? No idea. Drums on "Blinded by the Light" by Chris Slade. Tell me who Chris Slade is. Is he from Slade? No. Chris Slade. See, I would have said that too. I'll give you a hint. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, ACDC. Uh, 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 thunder. Yeah. Razor's Edge, ACDC. Chris really? Slade. That drummer. And that he was in The Firm, too, because I'm a radioactive. Oh, yeah, I remember those guys. Jimmy yeah. Page, Chris Slade, and uh, Paul Rogers, The Firm. All right. Yeah, but what's weird is, like, even though this is Manfred Manby is the common, uh, common thread through all this, this doesn't sound anything like... Manfred man, man Band from the 60s. Yeah, the 60s version, yeah. Like, that sounded like almost like more of a garage pop band, whereas this is like a 70s prog rock yeah. that's with really slick production. Yeah, and, and pretty much their only hits were Springsteen songs, too. They had three big singles, and they were all Springsteen songs. For You, written by Bruce Springsteen. Spirit in the Night, written by Bruce Springsteen. And then this song, Blinded by the Light, which was a number one single. Yeah, all all their hits in the '60s were covers too. I think. Well, Mighty Quinn was a big hit, but there's that was a Bob Dylan. Yeah, song. that was definitely Bob Dylan. Who wrote "Do I Diddy"? I don't know. Yeah, we should know that, Mike. Who wrote "Do I Diddy"? You know that one. <laughs> well, you know, it was that guy, uh, <laughs> Johnny. Uh, you, you remember his last name? When I was talking earlier about 
being at that Steve Earle songwriting masterclass course, he spoke a little bit about the internal rhyme line. So that's talking about when you're writing a song, you have the verses where like kind of the last the last word rhymes with the last word of the next line or the other third line kind of thing, right? Well, an sure. internal rhyme line where a couple of the words rhyme within that line. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So this song is an exercise in internal rhyme lines, I think. Like the first verse, madman, drummers, bummers, and Indians in the summer. Teenage diplomat. It's just, a, it's just an exercise in a bunch of words that sound cool, you know what I'm saying? He says, dethrone the dictaphone, hit it in its funny bone. That's where they expect it at least. He said, take the light, keep going straight until night, and then boy, you're on your own. Zanzibar, the shooting star, was riding in a sidecar humming in a Luna tune. <laughs> what does that mean, Mike? No, that's okay. That's okay, Ryman. <laughs> no, that, that, that's good stuff. Now, why don't we actually talk about some of the lyrics of this song? Okay, yeah. so there's that one. There's the infamous lyrics change. Yeah. Okay. So we, what we're alluding to, I guess, is the chorus, what you're talking about. That's what. Let, let's get down and just really finally settle this once and for all. God damn it. All right, so like Bruce Springsteen has even said that this was the first single released off his record, but he didn't have a hit with it. It went number one when there was a, a sort of an infamous lyric change, mispronunciation in the chorus. Okay. So it's not ra- ra- wrapped up like a douche. Wrapped up like a douche. You know, I want to roll her in the night. Yeah, I was blinded by the light. Yeah. How, how does it really go? Okay, the Springsteen lyric is, I was blinded by the light. Cut loose like a deuce. Cut loose like a deuce. Cut loose like a deuce. Talking about like a little deuce coupe. Yeah. Like a hot that, rod. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then Man for Man changes the lyric to revved up like a deuce. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Rev- but it sounds like wrapped up like a douche. Wrapped up like a douche, which we're talking about like some feminine hygiene procedure here. So right? do we know actually... What the lyrics are. The lyrics are cut loose like a deuce. Cut loose like a deuce. And then Man for Man took the lyrical, uh, what am I talking about? Liberties? Lyrical liberties. And they changed it to, instead of cut loose like a deuce, they said revved up like a deuce. But because of the accent and the slur, it sounded like wrapped up like a douche. Now, my question to you is, do you know what a douche is? Have you ever seen one? Do I know what a douche is? No. I do, I do not know this either. I was thinking about this episode, and I knew we were going to no. get to this this part of the, the uh But I can imagine song. what it is. And it takes, I, I, to me it takes it looks, on a whole thing with, in my head. Uh, you know, to, me it, to me, it looks like a turkey baster. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, that's good. Have you seen a douche, Baba? Well, I used to work at a pharmacy. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he knows what it is. So, anyways... When I'm sitting in my car and I'm screaming this song at the top of my lungs on a hot summer's day <laughs> with the top open and the windows down and all that kind of stuff, you know, I'm singing it as loud as I possibly can. I have no idea what it means. Don't know. Rap, do you, what, what but it lyrics sounds are you cool. Wrapped up it? like a douche? Yeah, I go, wrapped up like a douche, you know what, roller in the night. They'll say something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, the people walking down the sidewalk, they can hear me as clear as day. Well, Springsteen admits that it was not until... That lyrical change happened that the song became a big hit. It didn't it didn't take off with the public until people thought wrapped up like a douche. Yeah. So really? Yeah, so therein lies the genius of it. Wow. Yeah. And we got the chorus. I was blinded by the light. That kinda says it all. You know, that's that's just 
That's what I was looking for. Cut loose like a deuce, another runner in the night. This is an interesting line. <laughs> because uh, this song is my only number one song. I never had another number one song except this one, and it wasn't done by me, it was done by Manfred Mann, <laughs> which I appreciate. But they changed this line. My line says, cut loose like a deuce. And theirs said, cut loose like a douche. Um, I have a feeling that that is why the song skyrocketed to number one. But uh, it's one of those, you know, that word, you know, and uh, uh, deuce was like little deuce coop, as in two-seater hot rod. Uh, deuce, of course, is a feminine hygienic procedure. So they're different. And, uh, but um, what can I say? You know, the public spoke and, and they were right, you know? So, uh, all right, let me, let me. All maybe, right. Maybe it has something to do with a hot rod car somehow. Well, of course it does. Well, but, yeah, that's yeah, what it means. Yeah. Like, so cut like, loose like, like a, a deuce. Cut loose like a deuce. Like, but what is that? Because I don't know anything about cars. So, like, what does that mean? Like, the hot it means rod like you're like at, you're like sitting at a red light and like it turns green. You're cut loose like a deuce. Like, put the pedal to the metal. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that sounds cool. That's what I think. Yeah. I can dig that. Yeah. All right. So let's play this "Blinded by the Light" by Manfred Mann's Earth Band, circa 1976, off the Roaring Silence album.
right down But you never got time She's gonna make it to the night She's gonna make it through
she got down But she never got tired She's gonna make it Through the night Alright, thanks to Mike Bramson and Alex Ferguson For helping me out with this show It was a lot of fun We hope you like the tunes Thanks for listening And we'll talk with you later That's the show, folks. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website at TrampsLikeUsPod.com, communicate with us on Facebook at our TrampsLikeUsPodcast group page, and on Twitter at TrampsLikeUsPod. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review and a five-star rating. Tramps Like Us Podcast is a nonprofit audio fanzine created by fans for fans and is available for free. We are not affiliated with Bruce Springsteen or Columbia Sony Records. If you've heard any music you like, please find it and purchase it from BruceSpringsteen.net, iTunes, Amazon, your local record store, or wherever music is sold. As always, gratitude and respect to Bruce Springsteen and all past and current members of the heart-stopping, pants-dropping, hard-rocking, booty-shaking, earthquaking, love-making, Viagra-taking, history-making, testifying, death-defying, legendary... E Street Band. With my hair back and forth. <laughs> With my hair.
You gotta whip your head.